All right, good morning. We're going to continue today with the gratitude exercise that we have been doing. Um, so to refresh everyone, everyone's recollection, what we've been doing for the last few weeks have been to write down five things that we're grateful for um, today. Right now, what are you grateful for? Five things. And then write one sentence about it. We invite everyone to take part, t- uh, to take part in this. And we have pens for you if you don't have a pen. Um, you could use your bulletin, or you could use your uh, smartphone to take notes. And again, my suggestion to you, um, again, the idea is to not just keep repeating the same ones. It doesn't mean that you're ungrateful for the things that you're grateful for the first time, but to see all the different ways in which you're grateful. So we'll spend some time doing this. So this is part of our worship, and we ask that all of you guys to think a little bit and write down five things that you're grateful for. And write a little sentence about it, about why you're grateful. So, let's do that. I think most of you are getting better at this, actually. So um, I'm going to ask you guys to share with one another, give you guys a little bit of a chance to share with one another one or two things that you find yourself grateful for this morning. And greet one another that way, too. So go ahead and turn and tap your shoulder or tap the shoulder of somebody next to you or in front of you if it's in twos and threes. couple of things that occurred to me that I'm grateful for this morning, um, many things about worship too, but I'm grateful for uh, 
young who really prepared, which is not his thing to prepare, but he really got ready because um, he did not want a repeat of the, the lost old man kind of a thing that he did last time, and, and he led us in uh, worship. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, I, I want to recognize him for that. Um, I also want to recognize uh, my kids because uh, they stayed in their bed all night last night again. This is the first time I think, um, I can't remember, remember a time in which I had the kids for two nights just by myself. And they stayed in their bed the entire night. They didn't bug me. And last night, actually, and I really pray this because scriptures tell us God is the one who gives us sleep. And I got good sleep. And I was like, yes, it was amazing. So I'm thankful for that this morning. Um, A lot of things to be thankful for during this time. This is Advent season. The Isaiah reading, in case you guys did not recognize it, is very much, uh, it it is a Christ uh, reading. It is a messianic uh, reading of Isaiah talking about the coming king. Uh, and the child will lead them. And there are these famous passages in there. The lamb and the lion will dwell together. And, and there are these, all of these things. Uh, the lion will hang out with the cow. You know, when does that ever happen? This is the peace that is declared during this time of the year. Um, Advent is a time of the year in which we get ready for the coming of Christ. We get ready for the coming of Christ in um, in remembering Christmas, but Advent also tells us, and this is very much part of Advent, it has been, always been a tradition of the church to remember during Advent that Christ is coming again. That Christmas is not just something that, that we celebrate as a reminder of the past, but Christmas is something that we celebrate in anticipation for the second coming of Christ, a time in which Christ returns, comes to us once again, this time, not as a babe in a manger, but as a victorious and a glorious warrior and a king who is recognized to be Lord of all. So this is a time of preparation and reflection for that. That's what we're doing during this time of Advent as well. We've been using Nehemiah, um, this book that we've, we've strangely settled on, and I found it strangely um, appropriate during this time. Um, as a platform for our, in one sense, for our Advent ref- reflections. Uh, today's message is on a very simple thing, commitment. And, um, and you have my outline right there. So that's my outline for the day, commitment. Let me ask you guys a question as we begin. How many of you guys are stunned that we are already in the second week of December? How many of you guys are kind of like in this denial mode. Apart from feeling incredibly underprepared for Christmas, I get this little feeling that comes over me during this time of the year. And it's about how I had resolved to make some changes in my life at the beginning of the year. And I'm thinking, it's December already. I have less than 30, 30 days to make this happen. To get my act together. Now, most of us have a list of changes that we have, that we want to see in our lives, even if you haven't written it down, or um, even if you didn't start it out at the beginning of the year, even if it doesn't occur for you in an annual cycle. 
But we all have these things, right? We have a list of things, a list of ongoing things. This is a sort of a thing when somebody says to you, you know you do this? You know you kind of, you need to work on that? And, and, and you're going, I know! <laughs> I know that. You don't think I know that? That's the sort of a thing that I'm talking about. We have a list. And when somebody else points it out, we know uh, it's clearly one of the items that's uh, flagged, that's been flagged many times over in our list. Most of us have a list of changes that we'd like to see in our lives. When I was younger, I think many of the items on my list were um, things that I would like to change in my situation. There were these external things that I wanted changed in my life. Um, But as I grow a little bit more um, wrinkled, my my son told me this morning as I was was getting him ready, he said, you know, you got lines on your face. I was like, thanks. 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 Don't you think I know that? Okay. Uh, I did not react that way. The list becomes more filled with internal things for me as I get a little bit older, right? Things about me. For many, it will be about, I think, for many of us, it will be about how we spend our time, right? How many of you guys would say that you have that on your list? To stop wasting time on vacuous, mindless things, right? I mean, there are times in which and th- my, my job, um, my profession, is there's a little bit of a danger in which we are supposed to do research and, and we're always looking for examples and illustrations. So I do actually spend some time trying to read interesting articles. But once in a while, I'll stumble upon something that I go, well, what is that? They'll make a, some sort of a pop cultural reference and, and I go, oh, there's a video for that. I click on a video. I click on a video on YouTube and soon, like... After 30 of these, like, two-minute two minute YouTube videos, I'm going, what have I done? <laughs> and you always get one of these comments on YouTube that nowadays that says, I want my three minutes and 42 seconds back. And, 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 and I feel like that sometimes. And I go, I really need control. I actually use a program during the time on Friday, Saturdays, especially when I'm preparing for a sermon, that cuts off all of my internet connection. I, I don't know if you guys use that, but it actually cuts it off, which is really kind of bad when I go to the iPad and start surfing the web. That defeats the purpose, but actually it does help me focus so that I don't get distracted as I'm researching for something like, you know, what did uh, William Shakespeare actually say? And somehow I'm, I'm, I'm reading this article about Snoop, Snoop Dogg, you know. Um, and there's a connection somewhere, right? So, many of us have this thing where we don't want to spend time doing this vacuous thing. Some some of us, it might be like video games. You know, know, the apps that are on a phone, the video game apps, and you just spend time doing it. And it's fun for a little bit, but you know, like at the end, you don't feel, you don't feel like, oh, I'm so filled. (laughs) You don't feel better about having spent time doing it. You don't feel like, yeah, I'm so good at Bejeweled. Which is like, you know, still 19, uh, 2009, you know, but I still play Bejeweled. Um, or Candy Crush. Again, this is the second time it comes up, but I don't even know what it is. But I know many people spend time doing that. And I know you don't feel more filled. I'm not belittling you. I'm empathizing with you. <laughs> you realize your life is finite and you want to stop wasting on empty stuff. Maybe the change that you want in your life has to do with an attitude or a character trait. 
Maybe you want to be more grateful. As we've been doing these gratefulness exercises, you realize how ungrateful you have been. Maybe you, want, you might want to be more patient. You know, anytime we, do, we say anything about patience, I see people's faces just, just cringe at, 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 in recognition of their own impatience. Because you know the negative impact your impatience has on others, and, but you feel that your time is running out on this one. That was a joke. Take a moment, okay? Or maybe it's a physical thing. You want your cholesterol lower, or you want your BMI off that, you know, death watch category. <laughs> you may have figured out that the, at the heart of all of these things, all of these changes that you want in your life, maybe you have figured out that all your anxieties and your worries, all your dissatisfaction with the direction that your life is going that nagging sense of emptiness that never seems to get filled no matter what you do and no matter what you put into it are actually symptoms of the one thing that we all truly need, which is to draw near to God, right? You may have realized that true change is always spiritual change. And that if you don't get to the heart of the matter in your heart, the other stuff really doesn't matter, <laughs> Whatever your issue, you realize that you need change and you need to bend your life toward a new direction. And now, what do we do? What do we do when we get to these moments of realization? When we get these moments of soberness that tells us we need a change? Well, as human beings, we make commitments. We make commitments. We take this for granted. But if you think about it, this is an amazing human trait, the ability to make commitments. We can actually say, I am at point A in my life, and I want to be at point B. So I make a conscious decision to do everything that I can to get there. We can actually say, I am going to do something that I have not been doing neither in my past or my present, but I'm going to give my word now to how I want to be in the future. We make commitments. We actually say, I see that the direction of my life is going this way, but I am going to make a commitment to go this way. It, it's, it, it's crazy because it's not something that anybody else or any other living thing can do. An obvious example of a commitment like this is, of course, uh, marriage vows. When people make a commitment without kidding around, folks, without kidding around and, and not to scare off people who are going to get married, <laughs> married folks will be the first to say, when I took my vows on my wedding day, I had no idea what I was getting into, right? Married people will be the first to say that. But we still um, understand that our words count. We don't get to go to some return desk, like at Costco, and say, yeah, you know, I really didn't know what I was getting into because there was no way to really know what marriage would be like. So therefore, I would like my money back or I would like my life back the way it was. We don't do that because we understand that we made a commitment that our words count. We comprehend on wedding day just a glimmer and if you know, you think you do. You, you always think you do. 
But we comprehend just a glimmer of the change that will be required of our lives. But because we have made the commitment, the best marriages pursue it against all odds. Right? Married people, am I lying? Right? And somehow, two become one. Nadia's like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Commitment is what happens anytime we give our word or sign something with our name, right? We are the only living things that are able to do something like this. No dog has ever said, I'm going to change the direction of my life. No whale has ever said, I'm going to commit myself to a different way of living. They never say anything, actually. But only people can actually do and can commit to change without having done it. It is a unique gift. It is an incredible gift, folks. Now, however, as you experience life, you also know there's some baggage that goes with this thing called commitment. The older we get, the more issues we have with commitment. Right? First, there is the problem of discerning which commitments are worthy commitments. Sometimes it seems like committing to something at the beginning sounds like a great idea, but then you kind of walk out, take some steps out of that setting, and then you go, what have I done? What am I thinking? I told this story to some of you guys before, uh, but when Pastor Sam and I uh, were roommates long time ago, like 20 years ago, uh, 20 plus, 22, 23 years ago, when we were just out of college. Um, one day, Sam uh, tells me that there was some door-to-door guy selling, um, uh, that came to our apartment, and there was from uh, the Sizzler, local Sizzler franchise, that just opened up. And they were selling these coupon books, And it was something like, you can get, for the price of four meals, eight. Four meals up front. Pay for four meals up front, and you get something like eight. And uh, I don't know if if you've ever had Pastor Sam, like, talk to you about something, and he's trying to, like, get you into something, like, to to enjoy something. But, man, he could sell you something. (laughs) And I'm like... That sounds like a fantastic idea. <laughs> so they came back around because I, I guess Sam told them, hey, come back because I got a roommate that would love this sucker deal. I mean, that would love this deal. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, he may have gotten a $5 kickback or something. I don't know what it was, but I committed to this. I committed to this. It was a ridiculously good, it was a ridiculously good deal to a single guy on a limited income. Pay for four meals up front. Done. Sam and I both bought our coupon books. Now, here's the thing. When I describe myself as a single guy on a limited income, I did not complete the entire picture because I was a single guy on a limited income who had just started dating a woman who would eventually become Esther. She was... (laughs) Oh, you were a different Esther back then. (laughs) And you have to ask, how many dates can a guy take a girl out to a sizzler's 
before you realize it might not be the best idea. Some of you guys guessed one. It took me two. We did go there, I remember, distinctly twice. Um, So I paid for four meals up front and got four meals. I have to tell you, I've been commitment shy about restaurant coupon books ever since. Groupon, don't like it. If you ever get tricked into a commitment, you get gun shy. Now, there is a second reason, a more serious reason, a more serious problem that we have with making commitments. In many cases, what happens is we fail to live up to it. We break it. Um, we break our word to others, to our families, to ourselves, to God, to do something, to be a certain way. We wind up breaking commitments and we feel bad about it. We feel bad about ourselves. And so we become reluctant to make future commitments. Because we rather not set ourselves up for failure, we say. You guys know the story of Sisyphus? Like, it's an old friend of mine. No, it's a Greek myth. And maybe you guys, it will sound familiar. And, and maybe you guys are thinking, oh, I always thought it was pronounced Sisyphus. But it's Sisyphus. Right? Um, this is Greek myth about a guy who had to roll a boulder up a hill. This was his lot in life. He would wake up every morning and push a giant boulder up a hill and it would, would take all of its, his effort to get it to the top of the hill. And just as he is about to push that boulder over the ledge, that boulder would come rolling back down and settle on the valley on the down, lowest point once again. And he would wake up next morning and he would do that again. This is where... Some of us are. This is where some of you are, right? Some of you have been going through the motions in some ways about this change and transformation. And when we talk about change and transformation at our church, you get the importance of it, but you feel like, you know, we tried. I tried. I tried rolling that boulder, but how many times can I try rolling that boulder up a hill and then have it go coming back down to rest where it was before? Before I start thinking, it's naive to start making these commitments again. It's naive to make another commitment and say, yeah, I really believe that I can change this time. It's naive. I mean, how can you possibly expect to do anything else? So we become, you know what happens when you don't make commitments? change or to other people you know what happens you just don't grow you just don't you just you're stuck in a rut you're stuck in a spiritual rut you're stuck in a character rut you're stuck in a life rut you're stuck in a health rut and you become cynical about your life being any different from the way it is now when you become cynical about making commitments. Do you hear the vicious cycle? We don't change, so we don't commit. We don't commit because we don't change. Something is obviously broken about our, about our understanding of commitments. Our understanding of commitment needs desperate help, folks. And this is where today's Nehemiah reading comes in. 
Nehemiah 9.38 comes at the end of worship that led to the great movement of confession last week that we read about last week that we studied. And what happens then is that all of the leaders at the end of worship, this is a climactic point, and not just this worship, but in fact the, all of the book, the entire book of Nehemiah, all of the leaders gather together in the front and they sign. They put their seals down and say, we commit to this, this new way of living in you, Lord. We commit to you to live in this way. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders representing all of the people, our Levites and our priests are fixing their seals to it. There is, however, one critical difference between the way they approach commitment making versus the way many of us approach commitment making. And I believe this is the key to making a biblically sound Christian um, commitments in our life. And it turns on this very simple little phrase at the very, very beginning, which says, in view of all this, in view of all this, and it would be wise for us to ask the question then, in view of all what? What has been said so far then? And we'll, let's look at chapter 9. To refresh your memory, chapter 9 is a story of God and his people. And if you look at starting with verse 6, it starts with creation. You made the heavens. And it's a story from the beginning to where, where the people are in Nehemiah. It's an amazing account of it. And they go through it in such a quick, beautiful way. But it says, you made the heavens and the earth and all that's in it. It starts off like that. And bless God for that. It's starting with verse 6. And then it goes into verse 7 and 8. To the story of God's choosing of Abraham. Naming him Abraham from Abram. To become the father of faith and the people of the covenant. You chose the, you chose the Lord who chose Abram from all the peoples and made a covenant with him to give him and his descendants the promised land. And then it gets into the story of the Exodus. You saw the suffering, heard, heard of our fathers in Egypt and delivered them with signs and wonders. You divided the Red Sea and you led them with pillars of cloud by day and pillars of fire by night. Then to the giving of the Ten Commandments in verse 13. And then the sustenance during the Exodus time with manna and miraculous word in verse 15. Now, but with all of these amazing blessing and grace of God, God's mercies just poured out on his people. What was the reaction of the people? Verse 16 says, in spite of all this, the people acted arrogantly. Isn't that amazing? They became stiff-necked, meaning they would not bow down to the lordship of God. They became disobedient, and they tried to go back to Egypt. And the story, however, continues on. It doesn't end in verse 16. The last word is not about the stiff-necked people and God saying, I will smite them. And it doesn't say, and they were smoted. It goes on and continues with the story of God's grace. 
and his extravagant mercies, in spite of the dis- disobedience, in spite of the commitment breaking, verse 17, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even though they tried to run away from you, even though they did these awful things. And then verse 18, what is the people's response to God's reaction of love, that he doesn't desert them? Well, they make for themselves, it says in verse 18, the golden calf, and they started worshiping, worshiping it, saying, this is the God who brought us out from the land of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. And again, God in his great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. Again, are you starting to see the pattern? This is the focus and the heart of this prayer that leads up to the recommitment in verse 38. This is the story that's retold of God's mercies and then God's, uh, God's people failing and then God's mercies, God's people becoming disobedient and then God's mercies and God's people once again rebelling and then God's mercies of how God cared for his people in beautiful ways, even though the people consistently failed to keep up their end of the commitment, even though the people consistently failed to live up to their commitment to God. Until it gets to verse 32, when it gets to the present time, it says, now, verse 32, now. And they pray, now. Now that we have seen then, what kind of God you are, says, help us again. What kind of a God is he? Now, therefore, our God, look at verse 32, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps his covenant of love, that's the kind of God he is. Mercifully, he keeps his word, his promises, his commitments, Even when we don't. Now, this God, help us to make this commitment before you. So finally, we can understand verse 38 when it says, In view of all this, we are making an agreement, a commitment, binding in writing. So they're making this agreement not because of their own trustworthiness, but because, not because they have earned it somehow, not because they, have, they think they have some sort of character trait that's built up that can say, yeah, now we can really, really, really kind of you know, stick to this commitment as opposed to before. That would be crazy. If you, look, if you think like if that's what the people are doing, if you think the people here are making a binding agreement based on their willingness and their ability and their own pure motives... Because they think they're able, because they think now, you know what, I really mean it this time, then you are not reading this passage. Then you, it's crazy. They would be crazy to make a statement like that. Because the entire story that they have told so far is of how the people of God have failed. The only thing that's consistent about the commitment is that God has stuck to it. And that, therefore, in view of all that, we make this commitment. Meaning, meaning, what they're saying is, Lord, we know we will stumble. But we know we can trust in you to get us back up. 
And that's what we'll hold on to. Not in our power, but in yours. When we stand up and make a worthy commitment in the Lord, we are not saying, I hope I have the maturity of character to follow through with this. We're not taking a deep breath and saying, here it goes. I'm going to give give my best shot. A commitment made simply in obedience and in trust that God will be God. Great and mighty and awesome and promise-keeping. That is how we can make commitments. That is the difference that a Christian, with which a Christian can make commitments and find change and transformation in their lives. We do not commit on our own strength. We do not commit feeling sufficient in ourselves. We do not commit because our church is so awesome and we have programs to support your commitments. We commit because God's mercies are never-ending. They're inexhaustible. We commit because of this and this reason only. And that is the basis for our commitments. And this should be the basis for our commitments. So making a commitment is not me saying, I have willpower and I will make this happen. Making a commitment is not saying, I am trustworthy character, my words and my bond. That sort of hubris will always lead to failure, to a fall. It does. Making a commitment is is saying, I will let myself be held accountable to my words by those around me in the community of God because I will say my words out loud. And when I fall, not if, but when I stumble in my commitments, I'm going to depend on God's mercies expressed through my, my, my community, my friends, the people who love me in the Lord to hold me accountable and then pick me up again. Or pick me up again and hold me accountable, whichever. It's the same thing. Making a commitment is me saying, I will trust God for both the strength to help me keep my commitments and the grace to forgive me when I stumble. This is how we grow. If we never make commitments, we don't grow. If you're stuck in a rut, it's because you have not committed to anything. It's critical for us, for human beings. We have been given this beautiful gift of being able to make commitments. To say, yes, I believe you can keep my word. Hold me accountable. That even though I am at point A, I believe that there can be change and transformation in my life. That I can be at point B. That even though I am like this now, even though I am like this right now and I don't know what power I have within to be able to change, I believe that God can change me. 
And it's critical for, our, for us, for human beings, to be able to say that, to do that, to make these commitments. And folks, think about it. There have been times in your life, there have been times in my life, folks, when keeping a commitment to something was incredibly tough. And you want to just take the easy way out. And in our marriages, and how we deal with our children, and our commitment to our church. In marriage, you know, the purpose of marriage is not just say, just staying married. I, I, somehow, people think, as long as you stay together, that's the point of what God desires for us. It's like, that wasn't the vow. We never, no one ever said, gets to a, the marriage altar and says, as long as we stay together. No, that's too low of a standard. We're, to, we're held to a higher standard. We're told to love and to cherish one another. That's what our vows are. That's not the vow that we took. We weren't called to just tolerate each other or just make sure you have a good, a good and fun life. The biblical understanding of marriage, and I say this at every wedding, is that we serve one another, right? To serve one another. That's the biblical understanding. To help each other grow in the Lord. You hear me say that in every single wedding. And you hear every single person who's ever stood before a wedding altar say, yes. I want, to vow, I want to take the vow to do that. But married people know it's much easier. It's very tempting to settle for much less. It's very tempting to settle for much, much less. In my marriage, Esther and I, Esther and I have, um, we have so many things going for us. We have so many similarities. Um, if we were on eHarmony, if we had that, if we had the internet when we were dating or we had, didn't meet, I guarantee you that we would have been the first people like, at the top of the list. I think that's how eHarmony works. I mean, it sounds like a bold statement. Like, well, well no, I'm serious. We, we have so many similarities. But sometimes those similarities, similarities and... and Sometimes because of those similarities, it can be really, really hard for us too. So when it gets difficult, we can make it really difficult for each other. (laughs) And clearly there have been times in our marriage when we have stumbled and we fell away. We fell way below the vow that we took for each other, that we would do to love each other by serving each other. We made a vow to each other. We made a commitment. Vows to do more than just not cheat on each other. And by depending on God's mercy, we have been able to forgive each other. We have been able to grow with each other. And raising children... 
I want to say something that all parents know already, which is it is hard work to discipline, right? It is hard work to guide. It is hard work to teach our children well. It is really, really hard. It is much easier to be just their friend. But we took a vow. We took a a vow not to be their friend, but to be their parents. We took that vow privately before God, I'm sure, but also publicly because we don't take our baby dedications um, just as a show. We don't do that just for show, to raise them in godly ways. We took that vow. We took that vow before people. I was reading about this parenting dilemma that occurs for people who grow up poor but become wealthier in their life. And I think that probably hits many of us. Um, we grew up really poor. I grew up really poor. Not we. Esther didn't. Well, uh, <laughs> I grew up really poor. And I remember, like, you know, one of the things that we would always, Star Wars action figures were big. The original Star Wars action figures. And I had Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader action figures. I got them, like, one for, like, like one for Christmas, one for birthday or something. And, but, you know, the thing that you really, really, really longed for if you're a Star Wars fan during that time was the Millennium Falcon, right? The Millennium Falcon, you have to be a boy in, to, to understand this, but that was just like what everybody wanted. I couldn't get the Millennium Falcon. I had Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, and they were enemies that would fight at each other every time. And then, like, the second movie came out and said, Darth Vader says, I am your father. I'm like, what? They have to be friends now? Who are they going to fight? I have two action figures. But uh, people who... Where, uh, how did that go? People who grow up under hardship, people who grow up under hardship, though, will always talk about how... Um, they appreciate the value of things more, right? That there is a good in not having things, right? So I grew up poor, and as I said, my parents told me, we don't have money, we cannot get you, we, cannot, we can't afford to buy you the Millennium Falcon, it's either the Millennium Falcon or sneakers I understood I needed sneakers I understood that was the end of the conversation so I got the message but when our kids our kids ask us for something I want them to learn the value of money the importance of not having things importance of treasuring the things that you already have and taking care of the things that you already have I cannot just say to them we can't afford that Right? Because they'll go, what? You're kidding, right? So now we have to have a conversation. And those conversations are much tougher. Because it is not the sort of conversation that you can have just once and be done with. You have to have this conversation over and over and over and over again. It is tempting for us as parents to give up on those conversations and just give in, right? And just say, oh, you know, just let them have it. Oh, just let them do it. Oh, you know, it's okay. Those conversations are such hard work, and sometimes they don't even get it. It is tempting to give up on trying to model right behavior for them as well, right? Oh, it's too hard. It's too high of a standard. 
It is so much easier for us to just say to them, hey, do as I say, not as I do. It's so much easier. But we made a vow to raise our children in the way of the Lord. So even as I fail, even as I stumble, we don't give up. We say to the kids, I'm sorry. You're right. I made a mistake. You can hold me to that standard. And now we have that conversation again. You and I, both, both of us, on why we can't do certain things and why we shouldn't be a certain way. And that's much harder. But we get up because the Lord gives us the grace. The Lord gives us the grace to get back up. The Lord gives us the grace to have that strength. The Lord gives us the grace to heal relationships. Even the ones that we mess up. We have the hard conversations. Because we made a vow and we made a commitment. And we can rely not on ourselves and our ability to guide those conversations, but on God who says, you know what? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stick with you to your commitment. With regard to the church, we sure haven't made it easy for you to be part of our church. And I don't mean like we like like don't join our church. I mean we our church being part of our church has not been easy. It's not an easiest path. It requires a certain amount of commitment, doesn't it? And you're here. I mean, we haven't had any scandals or anything. But we made it far, far from easy for you to journey together as a community. But you stuck with it. You stuck with it through the hard times because you made a commitment. You weren't perfect about your commitment. We weren't perfect about commitment. Many, many of us have failed each other at times. But somehow, by the grace of God, we have stuck with it. And yet, we have forgiven each other. And we have grown together. And that finally, um, you were dragged along at times. But by God's mercies, you stuck with our church. And somehow, somehow, we're at a point in which we're able to see, wow, there has been growth in our hearts and our minds. God has used this commitment, this church, this community to move me in some profound ways. Right? I think one of the things, and this is, remember one of the promises that I made about the whole thing regarding the merger talk? That one thing, whether or not the merger happens, the one thing that I think would be a good thing for us is to think about what is really important to us as a church and what are the ways in which we need to improve as a church. But I've been hearing a lot about many of you guys thinking about the ways in which we're able to see and this time, this time of reflection, many of you guys are thinking about, wow, there, there are some really precious things in our church that if if 
we merge and move forward in a new direction than, than we have before, um, if that happens, I would really, really, really long to make sure that we treasure and we, 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 we safeguard these things because we now treasure these things as profound, profound things, profound relationships, profound reflections, profound ways in which we've been moved and changed by one another, by God's use of his mercies through one another. That we realize, wow, this is, that's a precious gift. Because we're only able to see this because we understood, we understand that we made a commitment. And it is not by our maturity of character, but by God's grace that we've been led to a place in which we can reflect upon that as well. God has cared for us, and he grew things in here that we treasure now. So the question right now is this. What commitments is God challenging you to now make? What commitments is God challenging you to remember? What commitments Are you now being called to make? It might be personal. It might be communal. It might be a commitment that you make before God about you. It might be a commitment that God is calling upon in your life to renew. It might be a commitment that God is calling upon you for the sake of somebody else, for the sake of the community, to serve God and his purpose. Would you all think about that for a moment as we close our eyes and close our time of worship? As we think about our commitments at this end of the year, would you all close your eyes and and think about that and then Say it and lift it up to the Lord as a prayer. And if there are some public ones that you think that you need to make, then by all means, please, tell one another. Tell someone. Tell someone. Let yourself be held accountable by somebody who who loves you. You are God who is great, who is awesome, who keeps his covenant, who keeps his promises even when we fail. And because of that, we can make promises. Because of that, we can make commitments. 
and love you and we trust you to love us even more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.